Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Friends and family, thanks so much for tuning in today. I don't know if you're watching on your phone or on your iPad. I got some pictures last week where people were taking it from their screen and, and like throwing it up on their big screen. Ah, you need to do that at your own risk. This face right here on a 70-inch high-definition screen, some things you cannot unsee, okay? <laughs> Wherever you are tuning in from and listening, we're just glad you're here. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're in a relationship series on relationships and family, and I'm really excited about today's message uh, because we're going to talk about growth. Uh, now, there are a lot of different ways that we can track our growth, our success in life. Uh, for instance, when you're at work, you can tell if you are succeeding or if you're growing, or, or if you're moving in the right direction. You, you can tell because your boss may have an annual report where they sit down with you and, and, and say, Here's, let's evaluate what you've done. Uh, maybe when your Christmas bonus rolls around, you'll know if you were successful that year, depending on how big that bonus is. Uh, or, or maybe if you get that promotion at the end of the year or you get a raise uh, throughout the year, then, then you know you're, you're winning. Maybe it's an award that they issue to the person that has the highest sales in all of the company. And if you get that, you'll know you're winning. You are succeeding in, in those things. Um, in other areas of life, we measure ourselves to, to gauge the success that we're having. Maybe you're trying to be healthy right now. Uh, and, and there are ways that you can track. There are ways that you can tell if you're winning in your health. Maybe when you get on the scale, you can know, are the numbers moving in the right direction? Uh, maybe you can look back and say, well, how many times did I work out this week? How many times did I go to the gym? How many times did I, did I run this week? Or maybe you got a little weightlifting set in your garage or basement. How many times did you go down there? You can tell. Uh, how many times did you eat fast food? And how many times did you eat a, a, a healthy meal? There are ways that you can actually gauge it. Even in school. I know in our house, uh, third quarter, quarter report cards came out uh, this week. And so we can tell uh, what you made. What, what are you making on the weekly quizzes on the unit exams, at the, the end of year testing, you actually have a report card that'll tell you how you're doing in the ways that you can improve. Here's what I wish we had. I wish that we had a way where we could measure whether or not we were winning in relationships. <laughs> I mean, think about it. If you're married, are you winning? And how do you know? And I'm not talking about like you're winning if you are married or if you can stay married. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how do you know if you have a great marriage? How do you know if you're winning with your family at home? And I'm not just saying do you have kids and that means you're winning. I'm, not, I'm talking about do you have a close, tight-knit family? How about your friendships? How do you know if you're a good friend? How do you know that you have close tight-knit friends. And I'm not just saying how many acquaintances do you have or how many Facebook friends on social media do you have. I'm talking about real close friendships. You know, those people that you know you can call at 3 a.m. and they're going to drop everything they're doing and come to your rescue if you needed anything. How do you know if you're winning 
and succeeding and growing in the relationships that you have, the most important relationships that you have in your life. It sure would be good to like get a report card or to get an evaluation or maybe at the end of the year you get a, you get a bonus if you're doing it right because these relationships are just so, so important. Well, here's what I know about relationships. Uh, if you want relationships that work, then you're going to have to work at your relationships. But the great news is Scripture is filled with great advice that has stood the test of time on how we can have excellent relationships, meaningful, deep relationships in all areas of our life. And so that's what I want to look at today uh, is, is those ways that we can tell if we are succeeding in growing in the most important relationships in, in our life. We're going to be in uh, first or Second Timothy today. Second Timothy, it's all the way at the, the back of your New Testament. Um, Second Timothy was a letter written to a, a pastor, a young guy named Timothy. He was a pastor, a church planter, and a leader. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. So Paul was like Timothy's uh, coach, his mentor, almost like a spiritual dad to him. Uh, Timothy looked up to Paul. Paul taught Timothy almost everything that he knew. And so Timothy was writing these two letters that we find in the New Testament to Timothy. First Timothy, and then the book that we're going to be in today, Second Timothy, which I affectionately call Timothy Returns. And so we're going to look, if you have your Bible or your app, go to Second Timothy and get your notebook out because I want to give you five ways that you can tell if you are growing in the most important relationships that you have. Five ways. This is your report card. Hopefully you're going to get all A's today. Second Timothy chapter 1 starting in verse 2. The very introduction, we even learn something about Paul and relationships and why he does it so well. Verse 2 reads like this, I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. He starts it out by saying, Timothy, you are my dear son. Now understand, Paul is not Timothy's biological father. When he says that, he's mentioning the intimacy and the depth of the relationship that he has almost as his spiritual dad. Uh, like, this is my spiritual son. I want to watch out for him. I want to look out for him. I want to pour into him. And so even the name that he calls Timothy is a big deal. The words that he communicates about Timothy and how he addresses him even in the introduction of the message. And then pay attention to what he says. Paul begins to breathe life over Timothy. He begins to build him up. He says, may you be filled with grace and mercy and peace. He's encouraging Timothy. He's building him up. He's speaking truth and life over him. And if you look at the whole book of 2 Timothy, that's all that Paul does. He looks at Timothy and says, Timothy, I believe in you. I see God's hand on your life. I see something in your life that is of great value and potential, and I want to call it out of you. I want to make sure you know how I really think about you and to speak those words of blessing and, and the positive news over Timothy's life. Even in the very introduction of the book, Paul makes it very clear, hey, words matter. The way that I refer to Timothy and the way that I speak to him, write that down. Number one is this, in your relationships, words matter. 
Now, we, we've talked about this throughout the series, the importance of words and, and why words matter. In, in Proverbs 18, uh, 21, uh, Paul says that the tongue, or um, Solomon says that the, the tongue, our words, have the power of life and death. Your words, your tongue has the power to either build up or to tear down. So in your marriage, in your friendships, at your job, your relationship with your coworkers and your friends, you got to understand what you say and how you say it matters. Think about this. The things that I know and I believe about myself right now actually came from the words that people said to me when I was growing up. It's probably the same with you. Most people's self-image, what they think about themselves and what they see when they look at themselves, is not shaped by themselves. It's actually shaped by the words that people share around you. And if you grew up in a home where you are constantly being belittled and torn down and, and, and convinced that you are worthless, you will never amount to anything, uh, your worth is, is void, then you probably grew up actually believing that. And you may struggle with self-worth and a self-image today, but if you grew up around people that were saying, I believe in you, I see that God has his hand on you, I believe you're talented, I believe you've got potential in your life, and if you were surrounded by people that drew that out, think about how that changed the way that you see yourself now. Paul understood that. When he was speaking these words over Timothy, he understood in relationship, words matter. And so I want to choose the words that I say to this young protege in your marriage, to your kids, to your boss and coworkers, your neighbors and your friends. Trust me, your words matter. So if you're going to succeed and grow and have great relationships, you've got to understand words are important. What you say and how you say it matters. It can either build people up or tear people down. So important in that Paul got that and made sure to speak those things to Timothy. In verse 3, uh, he continues, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Man, listen to those words. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. If you want to know the second key to relationships, the second thing, if if you want your relationships to grow and start moving in the right direction and and to succeed in these important areas, you got to pray constantly. Paul models that. In one of the most important relationships that he had here on earth, he said, I'm praying for you constantly. I'm constantly going to God night and day. And I'm not talking about just like every time it would cross his mind. He's like, oh, I wonder how old Timothy's doing. Maybe I should just throw a prayer up real quick for him. No, he said, night and day, I'm constantly praying for you that God would help you, that God would equip you, that God would bless you, that God would protect you, that God would help you grow closer to him and influence in the world. How often are you praying for the people that you have relationships with? Are you praying for your spouse on a daily basis? Parents, are you praying for your kids every single day, for their growth, for their protection, for their relationship with Jesus, even maybe for their relationships with their friends and and, and even their future spouse? Are you praying for those things? If you want to have great relationships and you want to know if you're succeeding in the relationships that matter, 
then a mark of that is you are going to be praying constantly for those people. Praying for those in authority over you. Praying for those that you work with. Praying for your neighbors and friends. The ones that know Jesus and don't know Jesus. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your kids. And I'm, I'm not just talking about just occasionally throwing a random prayer up like generic. Just like, God bless everybody that I know. I'm talking about praying specifically for people. And constantly for them. That's what Paul did for Timothy. And he had an incredible relationship. The depth that they had together and the friendship that they shared was great. If you're constantly focused in relationships on what you don't have instead of what you do have, if you're constantly complaining to God about what you don't have instead of thanking God for the people that you do have in your life, then you will totally miss the opportunity at a great marriage in a great family a great home life, and a great work life. Too many times when we pray, we just want to complain or we want to bring to God the things that are on our minds or that we're frustrated with or struggling with, but that's not how God wants us to approach all of our relationships. Eventually, we have to look back and say, man, God, thank you for this marriage, for this spouse. Thank you for these kids. Thank you for this friendship that I have. Thank you for these coworkers and this boss that I can enjoy and have right now. God, teach me to be thankful for these things, to pray constantly. That's what Paul did. I'm sure there were a lot of things that he could have complained about when it came to Timothy and his leadership. He wasn't perfect, but he chose to thank God daily, constantly for Timothy. I hope you're thanking God for the relationships that you have today. Even I know they have problems. I know they're not perfect, but I hope every day you want to have great relationships, pray constantly with a spirit of thanksgiving for what God has done. Verse 4, I long to see you again. Paul's like, I want, man, Timothy, I want to see you really bad, man. I, that's how close our relationship is, man. I miss you. And he says this, For I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. You want to have great relationships? You want to know if your relationships are growing? Here's the third point. Jot this down. Invest selflessly. If you want to have a great marriage, you're going to have to invest selflessly in it. You want to have a great home life, you got to learn how to invest and pour yourself out selflessly. Every relationship will improve if we stop asking what other people can do for us and we begin to pour out and invest ourselves selflessly. That's what Paul did to Timothy. And scripture even tells us, you know, Paul and Timothy were together for a short period of time doing ministry, planning churches, like investing in each other. But scripture says eventually Paul left and, and he left Timothy. And in, in here, what he says is that Paul remembers when Timothy was crying when he left. Man, that's, that's so powerful. There's so much in that. Let me ask you a question. If you were to leave, if you were to transition out of your work, if, or, or maybe, man, I, I hope this doesn't happen, but maybe you died, would anybody miss you? Like, would anybody care? Would you have invested so selflessly in so many people that if you actually moved on like Paul did, that people would be physically and emotionally devastated because you were leaving such a big hole? I'm telling you, if you will invest selflessly in people, then people will actually miss you when you leave. 
people will actually see this incredible value in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships. Invest selflessly. I'll give it to you on the flip side. If you never bring anything to the table in your relationships, then don't be surprised when no one notices that you leave. There are friends that I have. I'll just give you some examples. Even even volunteers in the church, they invest so much of their time, so much of their energy, so much of their resources in relationships here. That even when we meet here on a Sunday morning and, and, and we gather, one of our key volunteers, if they're even five minutes late, I notice. Their presence is missed. They give so much. They are so selfless. They pour so much of their life into other people that even if they're five minutes late, people miss them. But on the other hand, if you're not investing, if you're not pouring yourself out, occasionally I'll get an email from someone in the church that they have decided that they're going to leave the church. And and, and here's the reason. They'll say, "I, I missed three or four weeks in a row and nobody called me. Nobody checked on me. Nobody reached out to me. No one even noticed that I was gone. And our team, we take that personally. So I take that note, that email, that phone call, and I'll bring it to the team and I'll say, does anybody know who this person is? Like, let's look them up in our database. And we want to know, were they involved in a small group? Were they involved on a volunteer ministry team? Like, were they connected to the church? And you know what? 99% of the time, the answer to all those questions are no. They weren't connected They weren't a part of a team. They weren't investing of themselves. And the sad reality is probably they showed up at 11 o'clock to the service when it started and left at 12 o'clock. And because they never poured themselves out, they never developed any kind of meaningful relationship. And if you don't invest yourself out, then you could be gone for four or five weeks and no one even knew you were gone. But I'm telling you, if you pour your life into other people, If you invest your life into other people, you can be gone for five minutes and people will be sad. People will desire for you to come back. This is exactly what was happening in Timothy's life. So here's the question. Who are you investing in? How are you investing selflessly in your marriage and in your family and your relationships at work with the people that are far from God? that need to know who Jesus is. How are you investing? Like, ask yourself, seriously, ask yourself these questions when it comes to whether or not you think that you have growing and great relationships. The first question is this, who are you blessing and building up with your words? Because words matter. The second question, who are you praying for on a regular and constant basis? That's going to be important for great relationships. And third, who wants to see you again? Who have you poured into and invested in so selflessly that they miss you when they don't get to talk? That they miss being around you when you're not around? (laughs) In in this time of of quarantine, like who are the people in your mind that, hey, as soon as it's the ban is lifted and we get to go to public gatherings, like the first person I want to see, the first person I want to come up to and hug and and have a conversation with and shake their hand and, and just see and be around them again. Who are those people? And do you think anyone says that about you? I'm telling you, if you will invest your life in others like that, then you'll have people just like Timothy that when you're gone, they will mourn because of how much you gave them. Those are great relationships. 
You can do it in your marriage. You can do it with your family. You can do it with your friends. You can do it in the setting of a local church just like that by serving people around you. Paul served and invested in Timothy so heavily that it left a void when Paul stepped away. And he talked about how much they yearned to be back together because their relationship was that great. Verse 5, I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. You want to have great relationships? Here's what Paul says. Make sure you leave an inheritance. In your marriage, in your family, in your friendships, are you leaving an inheritance for people? Paul mentions the spiritual inheritance that Timothy received first from his grandmother, then from his mother, passed on to to, to Timothy. And he talks about that there's an opportunity for us to leave an inheritance for the people that are behind us. So one of the goals of of parenting, I believe, is to to move your kids from being dependent on you to, in, in some cases, being independent in their life. I mean, their whole life uh, growing up as kids are marked by these moments where they move to dependence. I I can remember how great it was for the first time in in my life where my kids learned how to buckle their own (laughs) seatbelts. Right? It was just like, man, I'm so glad that I don't have to pick you up and put you in the car seat and buckle you up and adjust the straps every single time that we get in and out of the car. In fact, let me tell you a secret. Um, my wife drives a minivan. Okay, Now, I understand that minivans are not cool. I tried to tell my wife that. She doesn't care. I even tried, after we bought this minivan, I even tried to call it something different. Like, I didn't want to call it a minivan. A minivan will never be cool. So I gave it a different name. Somebody comes up to me and says, hey, you drive a minivan? I'm like, no, I drive a swagger wagon. Okay, that's what it's called. Doesn't work. Still not cool. No matter how far you lean the seat back, no matter how loud you turn the hip-hop on your radio and roll the windows down, a minivan will never be cool. Let me tell you why we bought a minivan. When our kids were born, my wife had an SUV, and our, and our oldest daughter, she would have to pick up my daughter up, put her in the car seat, put the seat belts on, and like fix everything herself. Here's what this van does. This van has a remote control that opens the doors by themselves. The clearance on the van is low to the ground so that my kids can get in the car by themselves. As soon as my older daughter learned how to stand and walk, We bought this minivan so that Elizabeth said, I just want to push a button, let them get in, put on their seatbelt by themselves so they can be totally independent. Real talk. That's the reason we, I don't care if it's not cool. I don't care if you're a soccer mom or a minivan dad. That is legitimately the reason. We wanted our kids to be independent. We celebrate when they become independent, when they can use the bathroom by themselves, when they can sleep by themselves in their own big girl or big boy bed. I was excited when my daughters could reach cups in the, in the cabinets and fix their own drink, like get the ice and the water off of the refrigerator. I love it when they become independent. But did you know that your goal as a parent is not to actually make your kids move from dependent on their parents to independent? You want to know what the real goal of parenting is? To take your kids and move them from dependence on you to dependence on God. 
You don't want to raise kids that are totally independent, that look at God and say, I don't need you, you are of no value, you are of no worth, I don't care about you. You want to help your kids understand, hey, move from being dependent on me to finding your hope and your trust and your peace and your joy and your satisfaction and your provision in God. When you were a baby and a toddler, I gave you all those things. But as a child and an adult, you can find those things in God. And so we move from dependent on us to dependent on God. And those are some of the things that Paul wanted to communicate to Timothy, that his grandmother and his mother communicated to Timothy. That's a spiritual legacy. That's an inheritance that one day Timothy would grow into. So I know most of you are thinking about the inheritance that you're going to leave your kids Maybe one of the things that you'll leave the the family or the friends that are around you is a a legacy, a reputation. They will remember you for something. Parents, maybe you're saving up for retirement and life insurance policies, and maybe your goal is to, when you die, to leave some money to your kids. There's their financial inheritance. Uh, Maybe you're trying to influence people at work so that when you die or when you retire, one day people will remember you for something. You will be remembered. You'll have a legacy in the minds of those people. You are leaving that thought in their mind. Maybe even as a parent, you left your physical traits on your kids. They look like you and they talk like you and their facial features are like yours. I'm for leaving an inheritance in all kinds of ways. But let me ask you this. What kind of spiritual inheritance are you leaving for those behind you? Your friends, your neighbors, the people that work around you in your office, your family, your spouse, any kind of relationship, we are leaving things for people behind. Are you making an impact spiritually? Are you leaving an inheritance in ways that matter? So how do you do that? Like, how do you leave a spiritual inheritance? Like, is there a a biblical 401k that you can invest in? Or like, what does that look like? And in verse 5, we see it. In verse 5, you see that word, your faith was sincere. It was real. It was authentic. What you had, the words that you say, Timothy, the way that you carry yourself, man, it's just real. I can tell it's personal and it's yours. Would anybody in your life be able to look at the faith that you have right now and step back and say, you know, I can tell that person's faith is real. It's sincere. It is authentic. I mean, they are living it out. Does anybody, do your kids, do your family, do your friends, do your neighbors look at your relationship with God and say, man, I can just tell, like, whatever he has, whatever she has, I want it. Like, I want you to pass that on to me. Like, I want to be in in line to receive a spiritual inheritance from you. Like, I look at your relationship with God and how you pray and how you handle problems and what happens in your life when bad things happen and how you respond and your attitude. Man, like, I want that. Like, leave that to me. Teach me that. We're all leaving something behind. We're all impacting people. We're sharing an inheritance in our relationships. I wonder what your spiritual inheritance will be. I wonder what you're leaving right now for your family and friends. You all have friends that you are impacting, that you will leave a legacy on, that will, that will one day say, you know, this is the thing that I remember about this person. The thing that stood out to me the most was 
what will they say? How will they answer that question? I'm begging you, leave an inheritance that matters. Leave an inheritance that makes an impact. Here's the last verse. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. When Paul prayed over Timothy, when he commissioned him into the ministry, he, he, he laid his hands on him and, and he says, man, when I prayed, when you started your ministry, when I, when I called that out into you and you became a pastor and a leader, he compares that to fanning the flames in Timothy's life. So I got a confession. If you know me, you know this. It won't be a surprise. I'm not a big outdoorsy guy, right? <laughs> Like, I'm not real big on the outdoors or nature or being hot or not having a shower or an air conditioner. You're like, there are outdoorsy people. I'm what you call an indoorsy person. I love the indoors, which really surprises me and really takes me off guard because I have some friends that enjoy being outdoors, doing things like camping and hiking. Do you have friends that do this? Like, are you one of these outdoorsy folks? It, it like you guys, I don't understand you. Like I, I have some friends that recently they took a vacation to go camping and hiking. And I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, like I'm trying to justify this. Let me get this straight. You took off of work so that you could go out in the middle of nowhere and sleep on the ground. Help me under, help me understand that. Like I'm just. That doesn't sound like a vacation at all to me. That sounds like punishment. That, that sounds terrible. You, like These people that like to camp, they're like, yeah, we, we like to go out and, and camp for three or four days. And, and, and like, you, Do you not realize that like, you wake up in a tent sleeping on the ground? Every morning you're freezing cold. There's a possibility that you're covered with a rash that you don't know where you got it from. And you haven't showered in days. And that's vacation? You like that? Like You're outdoorsy? And then, like, to top it all off, you get out there and, like, you ask one of these outdoorsy people, you're like, hey, I need to use the bathroom. And you know what they're going to tell you? You go out into the woods and squat up against a tree. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand you outdoorsy folks. Like, I'm an indoorsy person. Like, stay inside as much as possible. There is actually one thing, though, that I like to do. Uh, when I'm on, on the outdoors. Uh, in, in my yard, I have a fire pit. And occasionally, my family will go out there and we will light the fire pit and just sit around it. Um, but I don't, I don't even light a fire. Like, I don't know what you're thinking. You're like, okay, fire pit, like outdoors. I, I don't light a fire like an outdoorsy person does. Uh, I light the fire like an indoorsy person does. Uh, I go to Walmart and I buy one of those fire starter logs, the ones that are wrapped in the paper. Yeah, I, I do that. I put that at the bottom and then I just throw a bunch of logs on top of it. And then I pour about a quart of tiki torch fuel on top of all of that. You throw a match on it, boom, you got instant fire. Now, outdoorsy people, right? Outdoorsy people don't do it like that. You talk to an outdoorsy person about how to start a fire, and they're going to say, all right, now the first thing you need to do is you need to get some kindling. You need to get like small pine cones and uh, maybe scraps of paper or, or some pine straw, and, you, and you, get, you, you start a little fire. You try to get one little ember to burn. 
And then once you get that started, you, you, you start putting little twigs, little sticks, and piling up. you got to like feed the fire, and you gotta, you got to blow on it a little bit or, or fan it some. And, and then eventually you, you move up, you get some bigger sticks. Because you, you can't just throw logs on there because that's going to choke out the fire. That's going to smother the fire. Like, can I just give you a heads up? When you use a quart of tiki torch fuel, you don't have to worry about smothering the flame, okay? Like, you don't have to start small with kindling and sticks. You just dump that cord on there, throw a match, we got instant flames. But outdoorsy people know you got to start small and you got to build it. It's a great analogy that Paul uses here for what great relationships will take. And he communicates the last thing. I want you to write this down about relationships. When you want success in relationships, you have to play the long game. You have to play the long game. There's no instant success in relationships. There isn't dumping a quart of relationship tiki torch fuel on top of it and throwing one match and all of a sudden it's like, and you've got a great marriage, it's on fire, like it's great, it's tall, it's warm, it's big, all of that stuff. That's not how relational growth happens. And Paul uses that language. He says, when you first started, Timothy, it was just a little ember. And people in your life came along and they began to fan the flame. And they began to blow on it. And every person you came in contact with would add another little stick to the fire. And they would, they would add some wood shavings. They'd put some kindling on top. And then eventually it got burning to where people could put some small limbs on top. Words of encouragement. Other people would invest in you. People would say, Timothy, I see this in you. I believe in you. You're going to be a great leader. You're going to be a great pastor. You're going to change the world, Timothy. And eventually, log after log, stick after stick, keep fanning the flame. The embers go. And now, Timothy's life and leadership and relationships are big, burning fire. I want to encourage you, there is no shortcut to a happy marriage. There is no quart of tiki torch fuel that you can dump on your parenting and your uh, kids to have a great relationship. There's no quick fix to the relationships that you have in the community or in your office or with your boss. Paul leaves it by saying, if you want to have great relationships, if you want to grow in these areas, you got to play the long game. you got to understand it starts small. One spark, one ember, one f- flame that you can fan, slowly adding things to it, piling it up. And one day, if you'll keep your mind focused on the long haul, that it's not going to change overnight, that you're not going to have the perfect life and the perfect relationships without work, if you'll remember those things, then eventually you will fan the flame and add things over time and you'll look up and one day you'll realize that all of that hard work resulted in great relationships, a great marriage, a great family. I know sometimes it feels like the flame is going out, that the embers are dying pretty low and Paul says, fan the flame, blow on it, nurse that fire, work hard on it and keep your mind focused. It won't happen overnight. It won't grow like that. It won't be meaningful just in the snap of a finger, but it takes time. you got to fan that flame. It's not instantaneous, and I will tell you this, your faith, your relationship with God won't be instantaneous either. 
It takes a daily dose of prayer, spending time in Scripture, getting to know God, speaking to God, being able to identify where God is moving in your life, being thankful for the things that God has done. If you want to grow in your faith, it will not happen overnight. You've got to have an eye on the long game. There will be ups. There will be downs. There will be times where it feels like the fire is burning hot, and then there will be times where it feels like it's almost ready to go out. And Paul says, fan the flame. Put in the time, put in the work necessary in order to see something incredible happen. You do those things. If you keep going, if you keep fanning the flame, if you continue to speak words of life and encouragement over people, if you continue to invest yourself selflessly in other people, one day you'll realize that after all that hard work, after all of that trusting in God, after all of those days of putting the sticks and nursing the fire and fanning the flame, that you will have great relationships, great in your marriage, great with your family, great with your friends. If you keep your eyes on the long game, then you can even have a great relationship with God as you continue to grow and move forward. Let's do it together.